night, God's Word comes to us from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses of this chapter. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, last week we began our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We continue this evening with the introductory matters. Um, we talked last time about the author, Paul. Paul, who describes himself as a servant, one who was redeemed by God. We talked about the audience, the saints at Philippi. Remember, children, I asked you, have you ever seen a saint? These are the regular people that come to the church. And his message to them, grace and peace from God through Christ. Grace, that unmerited favor that gives us peace with God. Paul will begin the body of the letter in verse 12, where he says, I want you all to know, and then go on with the body of the letter. But he's still in his introductory part here in the first 11 verses. He is following the um, typical Greek way of writing a letter to someone, uh, beginning with the opening salutation, who the letter is from, who the letter is going to. And then the Greeks would often offer prayers of thanksgiving to their gods for the recipients of the letter. Well, Paul follows that convention, but offers prayer to the one true God. Paul's prayer for the church, his concern for them, that God's blessing might rest upon them, that they might grow in their walk with the Lord. We're going to look at this prayer of Paul tonight, 
to see as he prays for that church uh, what we can learn about our prayers for our own church, how we can follow the apostle in giving God praise and giving God thanks and in asking God to grow us uh, in our knowledge, in our discernment, in our love for him. Paul begins, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul begins with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for this particular people of God. Thanksgiving and joy for them. We talked about Philippians as a book of joy. Joy and rejoicing throughout the book. I thank my God for you. And Paul, Paul wants to pile up the fact that he prays all the time for all of them in every way. He used the word all over and over in this section. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in all my prayers for all of you, making my prayer with joy. These, this church was on his heart. And at all times, he was concerned for them, at all times remembering them and praying for God's blessing to rest upon them. He says, I pray for all of you. He prays for them at all time, and he prays for all of the church. Not just some, but I pray for all of you. Now we know that the apostle was not always well received by the churches. There were some who resented his ministry, didn't like his ministry. But Paul says, I pray for you all. All of you are a matter of my prayers before God. Perhaps think about your own prayer life and praying for the church. There are some people it is very easy to pray for people who are hurting, people who are needing particular things, people who are our friends, people who we sit next to in church, people who we see and enjoy talking to on Sunday. But we are to be in prayer for all. We don't all see eye to eye on everything. There are some people it is more difficult to pray for. And yet Paul says, I pray for you all. Whether you are appreciating my prayers for you or not, I pray for all of you, not just for his friends. He prays for, for all in the church. He prays for the overseers and the deacons, for the elders and deacons. Is that a matter of your prayer life? Praying for, for those whom God has chosen, for who, those whom God has placed as, as caregivers of this church the elders in their exercise of, of the caring kingship of Christ, their, their deacons in the exercise of Christ's mercy and compassion for the church, praying for them, that they might do their task well. Paul says, I pray for all of you, for all of you who are in the church. And he, he says in verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you, with the affection of Jesus Christ. 
Again, there are some for whom it is very easy to pray for in the church. But when we, when we find ourselves at odds with someone, when we find ourselves perhaps disagreeing over an application of a principle, not the principle itself, we have to agree on certain principles, but over the application of a principle, we must not allow these things to divide us, but must continue to pray for all of each other. I, I am of the opinion that it is nearly impossible to be at odds with someone and to honestly pray for God's blessing to rest upon them. I believe it's nearly impossible. And prayer itself for all then becomes a means of our reconciliation. While I, while I pray for someone with whom I might disagree, God begins to soften my heart toward that person. I pray for all of you, Paul says. All of you at all times and in all circumstances. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, you are with me. We belong to each other. You are with me in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. Because we share, Paul says, we share in the grace of God. That's what brought the Philippian church together. Not a common ethnic background. They shared in God's grace. We looked last week at a few of the members of that church. Lydia, the businesswoman. Lydia, very likely of the upper class part of the church. And the slave girl who had an evil spirit taken out of her. Certainly one of the lower class. The Roman guard a servant of the state of Rome, and yet all brought together because they had received the grace of God. We belong together, Paul says. And of course the same, the same is true for us. We may not come from the same ethnic or financial or whatever background, but it is the grace of God that binds us together. We are the recipients of the gospel. We are the recipients of, of an eternal life with God forever, even though we deserved eternal death. God came to us and in Jesus Christ secured our redemption. That's what binds us together. That's what it means to be a part of this church, to embrace that truth. And so God calls once again this evening to embrace the glory of Christ, what he has done for us, how he has secured our salvation, and be brought in to this family, be part of all. All who are brought in by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn from the Apostle Paul as he gives thanks to God for the church. He says, every time I remember you, I pray for you with joy. Is that the character 
of your prayers for the church, a time of joy to pray for the particular needs that we have. I pray for all of you, Paul says. Do we pray for all in the church, not just those with whom we agree, but those with whom we disagree? And do we pray in all circumstances? Even in times of difficulty, in Paul's imprisonment, in times of trial, we pray for each other. And in times of defending the gospel, getting together and joining together and hearing the gospel, in the difficult times, in the good times, we bring prayers to God, thankful for what he has done for us. Paul says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A prayer that God continue to work in all of us in the church. that We might continue to grow in him more and more. And that is, that is the, the content of Paul's prayer. The character of his prayer is it's a prayer of thanks, a prayer of joy. The content of his prayer, he really prays for three things. Verses 9, 10, and 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Three particular requests that Paul brings on behalf of this church. That their love would abound more and more, that's his first request, that they may be pure and blameless, that's his second request, and that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that's his third request. First, that your love may abound more and more. Not only their love for each other, but their love for God. They would grow in their love and devotion to him. This is not some abstract concept of love, but how do they grow in that, in that love for who God is? Well, Paul says it is through knowledge and all discernment. That your love grow more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge of who God is. How do we find out who God is? Through the apostolic word. Through the word that has been given to us. We grow in our knowledge of God by studying the word he has given to us. Certainly this is a prayer we should have for our own congregation that we grow more and more in our love for God through our knowledge of God. Who he is. What he has done for us. God has given us so many blessings in this congregation. He has given us so many opportunities to grow in the knowledge of who he is through study of his word. That doesn't happen just on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening. It also happens in Sunday school. It happens in Bible studies. It happens in the women's groups. It happens in the men's groups. It happens with the junior high. It happens with the high school. Again and again and again, we are spoiled, spoiled with opportunities to learn the word of God, to grow in our knowledge, in our love for him. 
The question is, are we taking advantage of these opportunities? If it is our prayer that our love would abound more and more with the knowledge of God, God has given us the means to answer that prayer. Given us worship on Sunday, given us Bible studies throughout the week. So many opportunities to grow. And, and, and even if we would choose not to avail ourselves of those, we have easy access to his word. Are we spending times in our homes around the word of God? Are we spending times with our families, with our children, growing together in our knowledge of God, growing more and more in our love for him? This is Paul's prayer for the church that you would grow more and more with knowledge and with all discernment. Discernment has the character not simply of being a knowledge of God, but, but a practical application of that knowledge. We might say wisdom. We talked about wisdom a couple weeks ago in a sermon. The practical application of the knowledge of God. His word applied to our lives. His word applied to our circumstances. That in our life, we live more and more the way God wants us to. He has given us a beautiful revelation of what it means to be a child of his, what that looks like in our life. And our prayer is that we would grasp onto these things, not only intellectually, but live them out in our daily lives. May we have love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That is Paul's first prayer for the church. That should be our prayer for the church. His second prayer, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you may be pure and blameless Paul is not calling us to some sort of sinless perfection. But Paul uses two particular terms here. Terms that really come from the marketplace. Terms which have the connotation of sincerity, live with a lack of hypocrisy, live an honest life. These terms, they're really terms of, of emptying of there being a lack of something in our life. Pure, that there'd be a lack of defilement. Blameless, a lack of blame. These, these empty terms. As I said, two terms that come from the marketplace. How would these terms be used? Kids, when they wanted to go and buy a new pot to cook in, they could go to the marketplace. And they made pots at this time out of clay. And sometimes those pots had very thick walls on them. They were fairly cheap pots, very thick walls. But sometimes they wanted to get a special pot with a very thin wall. Those were much more expensive because the thin-walled pots when they would cure them, had a tendency to crack. Now, an honest purveyor would see that his expensive pot had cracked, and he would throw it away. The dishonest purveyor 
often what you would find in the marketplace. The dishonest purveyor would take a little bit of wax and, and try to cover up that crack, and if it was painted over, you might not notice. So if you were going to buy a pot in the marketplace, you would take that pot, that thin-walled pot, and you would pick it up, and you would hold it up to the sun. Because the sun would reveal any cracks that were evident. That's the word Paul uses here. The word for pure is the idea of sun-tested. It has been held up to the light and seen to be what it really is. A well-formed pot. Exactly what it was supposed to be. Paul says that must be the character of your life. Pure, without fault, sincere, blameless. What you see is what you get. We must be, as Christians, honest about our shortcomings. We must live without hypocrisy in our lives. We are sinners saved by grace. And we do not pass ourselves off as something greater than we are. God is at work. God is sanctifying us. We are growing more and more, but we don't pass ourselves off as something more than we are. The church, as you know, is full of sinners, both in the pew and in the pulpit. We are honest about that. We don't say we're perfect, we have it all together. No, we are sincere, we are without hypocrisy. We recognize that God continues to work in us by the power of his spirit. May you be pure. May you be blameless. This is Paul's prayer for the church and should be ours as well. His last prayer, having used these empty terms, you should be pure and blameless, now he goes on and says in verse 11, you should be filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Not simply empty of defect, but filled filled with the fruit of righteousness, living the way God would have us live, an intentional Christianity. Not just a, an internal walk with Jesus, but externally my walk conforms to the word that he has given. Uh, that must be our prayer as well, that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness in every part of our lives. Not just when we come to church on Sunday morning, not just when we come to church Sunday evening, but that every part of our lives reflect the fact that God continues to work in us. We've been declared righteous because of Christ. Now we have to start to look righteous as sanctification takes its process. Look like who we are in our homes as husbands and wives, conforming our marriages to the righteous fruit God has taught us in his word. Living as parents and children, seeking to follow God's instruction for what a godly parent looks like, for what a godly child looks like in every part of our life, being filled with this fruit of righteousness. When we go to our work, when we have times of recreation, 
that all of our life might reflect the truth that Jesus Christ has given us a new life and we are filled with that fruit for his glory and praise. Paul's prayer for the church. A simple prayer, straightforward prayer. Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving and joy for all of them at all times, in all circumstances. We should reflect that in our prayer lives. And Paul says, I want you to grow in knowledge and discernment. I want you to be empty of hypocrisy, be sincere, and I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Oh, that God would, would do that work in our lives, in our church, and we can have every hope and every confidence. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh Lord God, we are so thankful for the beauty of your word, for this letter of Paul, as he gives you thanks for that church, so we give you thanks for our church, for all of the members you have brought, for our office bearers, for our elders and our deacons. We praise you, O oh God, for our fellow church members in all circumstances. We ask you would give us a surety, a confidence in you. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to work in the life of our congregation, that we may be those whose love abounds more and more, that we might be pure and blameless, that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Oh God, we are bound together by the glorious gospel of Christ and by your ongoing work. Help us in every part of our life to reflect the fact that we belong to you. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are going to turn to 534 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 534, fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise. We're going to sing all three verses, 534. Let's stand together as we sing.
receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.